hey, it's Steph, otherwise known as Moving Forward, Looking Forward on Instagram or MFLF. I shortened Moving Forward, Looking Forward because it was really, really long. But unfortunately, someone else has already taken MFLF and I can't really adjust my name on Instagram. Anyway, I wanted to chat today about mental health. And in episode 10, I actually spoke about my story when it comes to mental health and my experiences but I've had a request to speak about it again and on particular topics to do with mental health. Before I start I'm not a psychologist, a GP, a psychiatrist, I don't have any qualifications in this field. What I'll be speaking about is my own lived experience and obviously if you need any assistance please seek it from a professional. There are plenty of people out there who are willing to help you and are wanting to listen to you. You're never alone. I don't know at this point if I'll be speaking about things that may be triggering to some people. So obviously I'm not sure who my audience is when they're listening to this. I do keep my podcasts family friendly to a point, but I'd prefer that if someone under the age of say 16 is listening, that you grab an adult just to listen to this with you so that you can ask them questions if you've got you know concerns about some of the things that I've discussed because mental health doesn't just apply to adults it's also children who experience these sorts of things and it's important that they're able to get the help that they need as well. My diagnosis was given to me back in 2010 2009 I can't even remember now but I've had a lot of issues from when I was a teenager and I had postnatal depression in 2001 and then again in 2008 and it was then that my psychiatrist diagnosed with me having bipolar 2 which is otherwise known as manic depression and I remember when he diagnosed me with it I was actually really resentful toward him I was so annoyed that he had classed me as having bipolar 2 because at that point I had no idea what bipolar 2 meant I was like a lot of other people who roam this earth I didn't understand what that word actually incorporated and how it described everything I went through to an absolute T so after I'd done some research I realized that it's basically manic depression it means I don't get out of bed on some days I find it hard to lift myself up when I've been down for quite some time I can have a lot of different variations in a low mood and it's unlikely that I'll experience forms of mania which is where you are elevated in mood it feels like you're on speed and you can do a million and one things and then all of a sudden you crash so it's unlikely that I'll have any of those kind of experiences but if I do I'll crash really hard and in saying that though I have experienced mania a handful of times but not to the extreme that someone with bipolar one does so it was really hard to hear him say you've got bipolar two until I actually understood what that also meant I was also diagnosed with anxiety and I still have anxiety and when I say that to people, or even when I say I've got bipolar too, I'm often greeted with the response, oh, you don't look like you've got a mental illness. What does someone who has a mental illness actually look like? 
It's exactly like saying to someone, oh, you don't look like you've got autism or you don't look like you've got ADHD. You can't determine what someone has just by looking at them. Even if someone's overweight, it doesn't mean they're unhealthy. And I think that with anxiety, there's different varying levels. So, for example, I don't like it when people come over to my house, but I know people who do have anxiety love it when people come to their house. So just because you don't quite understand why someone doesn't like someone coming to their house, for example, because you don't mind it when someone does, it doesn't mean that they don't have anxiety. It just means that they deal with it differently to what you do and they've got different levels of anxiety. I'm sure I'm telling you what you already know, but it's quite hard to explain to someone that I have anxiety when I'm seen doing all the things that I'm doing. So I'm happy to go to the gym. I like hanging out with people. I enjoy going to concerts, obviously, when we're allowed to go to concerts and when concerts existed. But you have no idea how hard it is for me to actually be in those environments and how much work I've actually had to do to be able to get to that point. I was at home at one point where I wouldn't leave the house. I couldn't leave the house. I was too anxious of so many different things. And even when I go to something like a concert, I need to work my way up to it. I often don't eat for that whole day. I feel like I'm going to vomit. I'll have a panic attack in the car. I need to walk into that auditorium and I look around at the people and I hear all the noises and then I'll turn around and I'll look through my handbag and I'll pretend I'm actually looking for something, but I'm not looking for anything. I'm actually just trying to familiarize myself with the sounds of the environment that I'm in, just so that I feel as though I am, I don't even know how to word it. I actually haven't had to word this properly before. If I can hear the sounds around me and I turn around and I see all the people, then I feel a bit more comfortable. So if I can familiarize myself with one aspect of the environment that I'm in, which in this case is sound, then I seem to be okay and I manage quite well. But there are so many tears and panic attacks and nervousness behind any of the things that I do. So I know I probably make it look easy, but it's hard work and it's stuff that I have to do on a daily basis and particularly because of coronavirus I feel like in some ways I've definitely had a setback in dealing with anxiety and I know a lot of people who do have anxiety are experiencing the same thing because I haven't been exposed to some of those elements that make me uncomfortable I know that when it comes time to do normal stuff again it's going to be really hard on those who already struggled prior to coronavirus striking so it's tough. It's not fun. One of the topics I was asked to talk about is hospital stays and what actually happens when you go into hospital. So I've only ever been in the private system when it comes to staying in hospital. I go into hospital every three to four months as part of my routine treatment. I'm not sure what it's like to be in a public hospital. So what I'm sharing with you now is probably a very different experience to what someone goes through when they go into the public mental health system when you go in you need to pack your bag and because I've been in so many times now I know what I'm allowed to pack and what I'm not allowed to pack you're not allowed to take dressing gown cords 
you're not allowed to take plastic bags, you're not allowed to take glass bottles. Even some hospitals, you're not allowed to take deodorant because they set off the smoke alarms. You're not allowed to take long cords, knitting needles, sewing pins, staples, anything that's pointy or sharp or could be designed to hurt someone or hurt yourself those things will get taken off you so when you go into a hospital they check your bags and they go through your bag there's normally two or three nurses who do it and you are able to be present and once again I'm just speaking from experience and they will take the things off you that you're not allowed to have oh razors sorry I forgot you're not allowed to bring razors in either And they will take those off you until you are deemed as being safe. So even when I go in for routine treatment, all my stuff is taken off me until I see my doctor. So I make sure that my phone's charged, my iPad's charged, my laptop's charged, whatever I'm wanting to use on that day or in those few hours, I make sure I've got access to them because it's really frustrating going into a hospital knowing you're fully well and you're only in there for routine treatment, but they treat you as though you're really sick and they do that because they're wanting to protect the people who are in there that are really really sick you do have access to locked drawers in your room as well so they're useful to you so yeah I do take my valuables in but I do have a locked drawer and I've never had anything stolen from hospital but it's not to say that if someone was really desperate and feeling quite unwell that they wouldn't go through other people's rooms to try and find things to harm themselves with When you've had your bags checked, they take you to your room and they do an assessment. They'll ask you questions, they ask you your family history. The nurse does your blood pressure, your temperature, even if you're not sick, they go through that with you. And I've managed to summarize my mental health history in around about 30 seconds flat. They ask you why you're in for that particular visit. Mine's normally because I'm having routine TMS. They'll ask you if you're suicidal, if you've thought about self-harm, If you have, they'll go over some of the things with you, different options that you can use so that you don't do those sorts of things. And they do a risk assessment to find out how safe you actually are. If you're not feeling great, they will check on you more frequently than what they will check on other people. And that's obviously just to make sure that you're safe and that they're doing everything that they can to help you. When I've been in hospital, I've had three nurses So you have your morning nurse, your afternoon nurse and your night nurse and they always come in and check on you and they'll come in and have a chat with you. It's really good as well. So when I'm feeling well, I don't mind the nurses coming in and, hey, how are you going? And they sit down for five minutes and we talk about the world and things that are going on or whatever. But when I am feeling unwell, it's good to have that person there just to talk about how I am feeling because I'm not always well when I go in there. And when I'm not feeling well, having someone come in and talk to me, I'll often just start crying because it's so overwhelming because I try to suppress a lot of the things that I'm feeling when I am out of hospital. And then they just all seem to come out when I'm in hospital and probably because I don't have to stay strong when I'm in hospital. I don't have the kids in there. I don't have the world in there to impress. I don't have a lot of different things that I normally do have. And it can be quite tough because I don't actually realize how unwell I am until I'm in hospital which is quite challenging as well sometimes I've just felt perfectly fine but then I get there and I just feel like an absolute wreck and I don't even know where they came from where those feelings came from so it can be quite scary and really really 
I suppose, disappointing in myself because I like to think I know myself really, really well. So then I have those feelings of guilt thinking, hey, you should have known this, you know, you've been under a lot of pressure and stuff like that. So it's, it's quite a challenge. When you go in there, the hospitals have different groups on. I've done all the groups. I haven't been to groups in eight years though, (laughs) but a lot of the groups are on mindfulness. They talk about different behavioral therapies, acceptance therapy, and they talk about relaxation. They do arts and crafts. There's lots of different things in there that can help you when you're in there. And if you do happen to go into hospital, I encourage you to have a go of the groups because you do learn a lot from them. So I guarantee you, if I did actually happen to go into one of the groups now, I'd probably learn something new. When I'm in hospital, I don't tend to socialize. I go in there, I put some things on my iPad from Netflix, I bring in some books and I keep to myself. And the reason I do that is because when I'm in there, I like to chat to people and then people will often tell me their problems and things like that. And I don't like going in there to take on other people's stuff. I'm in there to look after myself. So I have been politely avoiding people for probably the last eight years when I've been going in there because I just don't need to be involved in their issues. The other reason I don't like to socialize is because in hospital there's always different dynamics and if that group has been in there for two or three weeks together bringing someone else into that dynamic isn't always a a positive experience. So if you go in there and there's a group of people who are all really good mates and then you happen to get along with everyone that could ruin what they have. So I've seen that happen a number of times where groups have been sabotaged by different people going in. And I just I like to keep to myself because like in any world, things can be quite dramatic. Every time I go into hospital as well, there's always a different type of feeling in the group. Sometimes it's really happy and upbeat and they have trivia nights and pizza nights and stuff like that at other times people are just really flat and down and they don't talk so it's it's quite interesting to go in there and even just observe and have a look at the different types of people you'll get people who are really really well and people who aren't well and I was one of those people who was really unwell at some point I didn't leave my hospital room for quite a while I literally slept and ate and slept again I didn't want to have anything to do with anyone and it's interesting because you often see some of the same people that were in there the time you were in there before. So there are a lot of people who go in there for regular treatment like I do. But it's such a different world. There are just some incredibly strong people in the world and you find most of them in a psychiatric institution because to have to feel the way a lot of those people do And I include myself in that equation. And to actually be able to continue to kick butt is such a hard thing to do. When I'm really unwell, I don't want to be here. It's as simple as that. I just, I'm not interested in being here. But I push through that because I know I can and I know I'm worth it and I know I want to be here. I just don't particularly want to be there at that moment. And that's the sort of person you'll find in a psychiatric institution they're very very humbling people and I suppose it goes to say you know you don't judge a book by its cover because there's some people in there that I've met 
or I've seen that you think, oh my God, you look like you've got your shit together, but they actually don't. So you'll never, ever know about someone until you actually start talking to them. And like I said earlier, I'm probably getting a lot of people going, yeah, I know that. But a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't, I think, seem to understand that even people who we think would be incredibly strong and never have a problem or anything like that. Yeah, they do. They're just better at hiding it than others. Eating in hospitals. So I don't like eating in front of people. I'm getting a lot better as I lose weight and as my food relationship changes that didn't make sense but I'm not going to press pause and go over it as my relationship with food changes I have a very different attitude toward eating in front of others but when I am in hospital I actually just like to get my food and go to my room but eating in hospitals they have a communal kitchen normally Um, they have sometimes a buffet they have a cafe style type area so the one that I go to at the moment Um, All the food is in a bain-marie and you serve yourself and you sit down with your people or you take it back to your room. So, yeah, a lot of people have questions about what sort of food you eat in hospital and some of it is repulsive. Others are just delicious. And the one I go to now, their food is absolutely superb. I love it. And when you have visitors, you can actually pay $15, I think it is, to have a meal with them. And it is cafe style quality food I would pay easily 30 40 dollars for the meals that they serve in there it's delicious when I am in there I don't really focus much on what I'm eating I like to just be able to eat whatever I feel like because I don't need to put that extra pressure on myself Um, they do have fruit and they have cheese and hospital sandwiches and all those sorts of things available most hospitals have got a kitchen where you're able to bring in your own food and sorry, not a kitchen, a fridge where you can bring in your own food and a freezer. So a lot of people will bring frozen meals in, different yogurts. Yeah, you see heaps of different sorts of foods in the fridge. Um, but yeah, some people do steal other people's food. So you definitely make sure you put a label on it. I think one thing that a lot of people don't know what to do or where to start is actually getting help. And the best place to get help is from your GP. So if you're not feeling great, go and have a chat to them and talk to them about how you're feeling what your struggles are, what you're going through at that moment in time, why you're not coping and they'll put you in the right direction. GPs are a great place to go and raise these topics with because sometimes they can actually really help you. Other times they need to refer you on to someone who's more specialized. So I see a GP, I see a psychologist and a psychiatrist. At the moment, because we're in coronavirus times, I'm seeing my psychologist every two weeks. I have a video conference with her over the phone and I've been doing that now for two months. But normally I only see her every probably six weeks when I'm well. So actually, sorry, I've been seeing her for five months because we're five months into coronavirus now. But yeah, I've been seeing her every fortnight for five months and normally it's around yeah six, six to seven weeks I see her when we're out of this pandemic. I also have just started seeing my GP weekly. I'm not doing well at the moment and I look forward to listening to this podcast in a year, remembering how hard things were and, and seeing how far I've come since then. But I have definitely had to put extra people in place to make sure that I stay well. I'm seeing my psychiatrist. I can't even talk. I'm seeing my psychiatrist every 
probably three months at the moment. I'm not on any medication. I haven't been on medication for eight years. So if I was on medication, I'd be seeing him a lot more frequently. But I see him when I go into hospital. And um, I normally only see him every probably... I probably only do actually see him when I go into hospital when we don't have the pandemic. But yeah, I've definitely had to increase my times that I see him at the moment, given the fact that I need to make sure that I've got those extra supports. Because yeah, as I said, I'm I'm not feeling great at the moment at all. When I talk about not being on medication as well, I think it's important to know that even though I'm not on medication, I'm not opposed to going on it if I have to. Medication is what kept me alive and there's absolutely no shame in being on it. I do often get a lot of messages asking how I came off my medication and how they can do the same thing. And my advice is to not do it until your psychiatrist or GP says that it's safe to do so because there should be no shame in being on medication. The way I think about it is like a diabetic. A diabetic needs to take their medication so that they stay well. No difference in having mental health issues and having to take the medication. And literally mental health, having the understanding of it to the point knowing that you don't feel great simply because of a an imbalance in brain chemicals is really important because that's all it is. And I think once I started to get my head around it as being something like that, I was able to cope with it a lot better as opposed to thinking it was something that I was doing wrong or something that I could do more about. Because I know, and you can probably hear, I am so active in my treatment and, and staying well that I know it's not my fault, but it took a long time for me to actually realize that and accept it for what it was. To stay well, I make sure I do a number of different things. Sleep is really important. If I don't get around seven to eight hours of sleep per night, I get sick and I get sick really, really quickly. Self-care is also important. Taking time out for yourself, doing things like face masks, your hair, deep breathing, meditation, going for a walk, whatever you deem as being self-care, make sure you do it. It's important to have that time to yourself and it's important to look after yourself relaxation is not something I do enough of actually I need to start doing more of that things like yoga mindfulness deep breathing those sorts of things it really helps slow you down and helps you focus and I find different forms of relaxation like swimming helps and running doing things that I'm just in the moment and I can't think of anything else really really helps me and and I'm glad that I found some of those activities to get involved in because they just take you away to a, another place. Anything that helps you just drift off to nowhere is really good. One thing I actually discovered shortly before coronavirus struck was a float tank. Now, the only time I'd ever seen a float tank was actually on The Simpsons. And my first experience in a float tank was incredible. It was absolute bliss. I did it again and once again it was absolute bliss. It was just beautiful. It's really hard to describe. You feel like you're awake but you're not. You're in a a trance, this, this state of I don't even know how to describe it. It's surreal and I can't wait until coronavirus is over so I can actually start doing a lot more float tank therapy because you're in this just... I don't know it's this hypnotic state where you're just 
aware of stuff but you're not aware of stuff and it's a tank where you go in and you put earplugs in and there's no sensors that you need everything's dark and you're naked floating in water and it's just yeah it's it's amazing it's as i said really hard to describe if you haven't tried it definitely do um it's something i really look forward to doing a lot more of i think eating well as well is really important i know i feel good when i eat good and i know i feel like crap when i eat crap so making sure that you're doing stuff like that is a really good way of staying well i also had a question about what happens when you call a helpline so i'll put up some links to a couple of different helplines that i've accessed in the past i've accessed panda they were for postnatal depression obviously i haven't used them for quite some time because my kids are much older now but i've also accessed lifeline and beyond blue and the black dog association and they are all fantastic places and literally when you call a a self-help line they answer the phone hello self-help line whatever company you've called and they'll often give their first name and that's all they say and it's up to you to start off so every time I call I literally just say oh you know I'm hoping to speak to someone about some stuff that's going on at the moment and then they'll say sure how can I help and it's okay if you don't know what to say or you don't know where to start because that's part of the process actually being able to put into words how you're feeling is such an important tool in being able to identify exactly where you're at and I know a lot of people are reluctant to call self-help lines because I think that from a consumer's point of view anyway they've been marketed as a last resort you should only access these places if you feel like ending your life and that's not the case at all they are for people who are in a crisis or someone who knows someone who's in a crisis and they are there to support you and they are such a fantastic resource and it's refreshing being able to speak to someone who has no idea about you and doesn't know anything about your life other than what you choose to tell them your call can go on for 20 minutes 30 minutes 40 minutes however long you need them therefore they are there and they are such a fantastic useful tool and I do encourage people to use them because I've used them and I'll continue to do so and I do so with no shame being able to pick up the phone knowing that there's someone there 24 7 is so comforting because like I said at the beginning of this you're never alone sometimes you feel like you are and even me I know a lot of people look at me and I've got heaps of people in my life and I'm surrounded by you know friends and family and stuff but when I'm feeling alone I don't feel like I've got anyone in my life at all and it's such a hard thing to to do and I think one thing a lot of people talk about with mental health is that they don't understand people's illness they don't understand how bad things are for them you don't need to understand to accept someone does have mental health issues all you need to do is is be there for that person and reach out and say look how can I help you what can I do and just that in itself is such a huge thing knowing that you've got people there who are willing to ask those questions can make such a difference in someone's life I think the other thing too is it's important to be kind to others like I said you don't understand what other people are going through and and I think one thing that's really important to add is that mental health doesn't discriminate you look at some of the most amazing people in our world who have killed themselves as a result of whatever they were going through 
There are hundreds of them. And to name one of them, Robin Williams. I haven't been able to watch his movies since he took his life because for me, he's such a happy guy. You know, he had such a huge smile, such a, a beautiful laugh. I know I obviously didn't know him personally, but I'm just going by what I saw of him, which is all I can do. And to know that he had access to all the money that he needed in the world and you, know, you can imagine his life was full of people who would have been there for him at any given moment if they'd known what he was going through. He, he didn't survive it. And I think it's important to know that even the strongest people, the most wealthy people, people who you think might have everything, may end up finding themselves in that spot where you feel like you've got no one and you've got no hope. And actually grabbing onto the thoughts of knowing that there is hope and there is someone is really important. So if you can be that someone to anyone going through problems in their life right now, I encourage you to do it because having those conversations, you may just save a life. I hope this has been really helpful. If you have got any questions about mental illness, I'm more than happy to answer them. Obviously, I can only share from my own experiences what I've been through, but I suppose I could do a million different podcasts on mental health and still not cover everything that I've learned. There's also some things that are quite sensitive and I wouldn't share them unless I knew who my audience was because you never know who you're going to trigger. There's a lot of different things that you can say when it comes to mental health that can be very upsetting for people and obviously I don't want anyone to feel like that when they've listened to something that I've talked about but definitely know that there are people around who do want to help you and who can help you and if you ever need to reach out to anyone I'm more than happy to be able to direct you in the space of someone who can actually assist you so feel free to ever drop me a line if you need to as well if you've got any questions send me a message or you can send me an email my email address is steph so s-t-e-p-h-m-f-l-f at gmail.com and I love to hear your feedback so if you've got anything you'd like to say anything you'd like to tell me about anything feel free to to drop me a line I also I'm open to hearing about topics to chat about. That's one thing that I do struggle with, surprisingly, is thinking of different things to come up with. So if you have anything you'd like me to cover, definitely let me know and I can have a look at chatting about that for you. You have an incredible night, day, morning, whatever it is, wherever you are in the world. And I really look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care.